And I wish I could write like this. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> it's supposed to be the point of the podcast, right? We can learn how to do it. Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. It's my turn. And I picked a short story that was part of a collection, apparently, called Drive My Car by Haruki Murakami, who's a Japanese writer. Yeah, he has now achieved George Saunders levels on this podcast. I think this is like the third story we've done by him. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and he's got like a new book coming out. And this story was turned into a movie at one point, which I thought about watching. Really? before this podcast yeah this, this short story oh that's yeah, awesome i, I know i was like that. i think it's like two and a half hours or something wow yeah i want to say it was longer when i looked it up i was like i don't know if i can squeeze this in before we record but also i don't really want to uh because when i read about it it was kind of like all stories turned movies where kind of like moves away from the source material and like you uh, know it's it's probably not all taking place in a car there seemed to be like a lot more plot to it like um that other cat person that other story cat person yeah which- don't don't get me started i do like the fact that she got to write it sure so that whatever got added was her own thing anyway so i i came across this one in particular because like i said it had been turned into a film i was trying to come up i was i thought i had heard about another story turned into a movie and i was looking for that one but whatever i came up with this one and so i will read a section Can I ask you something? Masaki said. Kafuku had been looking out the window at the passing scenery, lost in thought. He turned to her in surprise. They had been driving around together for two months and rarely had she initiated a conversation. Of course, Kafuku said. Why did you become an actor? A college friend of mine, a girl, asked me to join her theater club. I'd never been interested in acting. I wanted to play baseball. I'd been the starting shortstop on my high school team and was pretty confident of my defensive ability, but I wasn't quite good enough for our college team, so I figured, what the heck, I might as well take a stab at something new. I wanted to spend more time with that girl too. After I'd been acting for a while though, it dawned on me that I really liked it. Performing allowed me to be someone other than myself and I could revert back when the performance ended. I really loved that. You loved being someone other than yourself? Yes, as long as I knew I could go back. Did you ever not want to go back? Kafuku thought for a moment. No one had asked him that before. They were headed for the Takabashi exit on the Tokyo Metropolitan Expressway, and the road was jammed. There's no other place to go back to, is there? Kafuku said. Masaki didn't venture an opinion. They were silent for a while. Kafuku removed his baseball cap, inspected its shape, and stuck it back on his head. Next to them was a tractor trailer with too many wheels to count, a huge rig that made their yellow Saab convertible feel transitory, ephemeral, like a tiny sightseeing boat floating next to an oil tanker. This may be out of line, Masaki said, but it's been on my mind. Is it okay if I ask? Shoot, Kafuku said. Why don't you have any friends? Kafuku looked questioningly at Masaki's profile. How do you know I don't have any? Masaki shrugged. I've been driving you around for two months now, so I guess I can figure out that much. Kafuku studied the tractor trailer's enormous tires for a long moment. There haven't been many people I could call true friends, he finally said. I wonder why. Even when you were a child? No, I had lots of pals back then, but once I grew up, I no longer felt the need for them, especially after I got married. Having a wife meant you no longer needed friends? I guess so. She and I were great pals, too, after all. How old were you when you got married? 30. We were in the same movie. She had a major supporting role, and I had a bit part. The car inched its way forward through the traffic jam. The roof was closed, as it always was when they drove on the expressway. You don't drink at all? Kafuku changed the subject. My body can't handle alcohol, Masaki said. And my mother was a problem drinker, which may have something to do with it. Does her drinking still cause problems? Masaki shook her head from side to side. My mother's dead. She was driving drunk, lost control of the steering wheel, went into a spin, and flew off the road and into a tree. She died almost instantly. I was 17. Poor woman, Kafuku said. What goes around comes around, Masaki said without emotion. 
situation. It was bound to happen sooner or later. The only question was when. They were silent for a while. And your father? I don't know where he is. He left home when I was eight and I haven't seen him since. Haven't heard from him either. Mother always blamed me for his leaving. Why? I was their only child. If I'd been prettier, father never would have left. That's what mother always said. It's because I was born ugly that he abandoned us. You're not ugly, Kafuku said quietly. Your mother just preferred to think of it that way. Masaki gave a slight shrug. Normally she wasn't like that, but when she was drinking, she just went on and on. Repeated the same stuff over and over again. It hurt me. It's bad, I know, but I was relieved when she died. This time the silence was even longer. Do you have friends? Kafuku inquired. Masaki shook her head. Not a single one. Why? She didn't answer. With her eyes narrowed, she focused on the road. Man, I love this. This story is so um, contemplative. It's just kind of like, um, I don't know, I just like being along for the ride in this story. Yeah, yeah. Literally. Yeah, there's something about uh, the setup, which is that you're spending long periods of time in the car together and there's really nothing else to do. He talks about how before he gets to a practice, he likes to rehearse his lines, you know, and then he talks about how on the way back, he likes to listen to certain classical music and they have a routine that way, but then it's punctuated by these conversations that they're both like really comfortable with each other in the sense that they're both comfortable with silence, but when they want to talk, like they're both kind of ready to do it. Yeah. Neither one of them is super talkative, but they're willing to like kind of entertain stuff. And then this I think is a good example of a conversation that they have where Masaki kind of shows that she is interested in who he is, right? At first she's like very business, you know, yeah, I'm a driver. Yeah, I'm really good. And I'll drive you around. And that sounds good. And yeah, I need a job. Let's do it. It's like, it's formal and it's transactional that way. But this is like one of those moments that I imagined in the movie would be really played up, right? It's like the first time that they maybe like engage on a more personal level. Like you said, it's contemplative. These are people that are not just uh, doling out information about themselves. They're not just saying, here's my resume. Here's why I am the way I am. They also seem to be discovering things throughout the conversation, right? They seem like the kind of people that are able to like reflect on what they just said or think a little bit about what they were asked. That's really fascinating how this unravels like in the beginning, like how the whole thing kind of spools out. It's like Kafuku has these thoughts about women drivers, right? That's how it starts. Like there's two kinds of women drivers, like good ones and bad ones or something like this. Or And then um, he's going to his garage to get his car back. And then like after an accident where he was at fault, he's not allowed to drive anymore. So he needs a driver. And then he's like reminded about his, his wife has died. And there's this whole section yeah. about like what happened between them and how she was sleeping around and he didn't like it, but he never confronted her about it. He just, and he, she died and he never can find out like what was up with that why did you do that and even though he wants to ask her that and then that's just and then it spools into driving around Misaki driving him around and their conversations and how that develops into him relating the story of how he actually almost befriended one of his wife's former lovers to try to get to the heart of like what was going on between them and that's the overarching thing right is like him trying to figure out the relationship he had with his wife like what was really happening there and it's not like resolved but he feels like it ends in a better place than it started but it's just such a i don't know as far as like a, a driving profluent force for a piece of fiction it feels so weak yes right? That's why I think of this as being contemplative. It just kind of like it spins its own ideas around, you know, and like you go into these eddies and you're just kind of like over here for a while, then you're over here for a while and you're back and forth and you're going along this current. There is a kind of a, a forward momentum to it, but it's not, I don't know, it's it's a fascinating structure. Yeah. You never know exactly where it's going to go or how it's going to progress, what the next section is going to be about, but you were, you're always there. You're always ready for it. Yeah. I like how you described it as eddies because it, so like the section that I read, 
red talks about how they're kind of like stuck in i don't think they're maybe they're not stuck in traffic right there but they're but they're they, looking they out at the it's cars actually, they yeah. Were, yeah so it's, it's almost like uh yeah the conversation takes place when you don't realize that you're about to be like kind of caught up in this delay what else is there to do it, it, so it feels it feels winding that way it's like it's unintentional neither one of them is like after information they're just like passing the time so it feels like this very natural like connection versus like what kafuku actually does in this story which is like you said try to befriend his one of his wife's lovers in this very like intentional interaction where he like literally sits down and it's like <laughs> i don't know how I, I i don't know how he pulled that off but he's basically like i want to hurt this guy but i need to get to know him before i can figure out how to hurt him right so he <laughs> interviews him and and that conversation it happens so much differently it's so much more intentional and like yeah. he's still like he said he's an actor so he's able to act normal act interested act whatever but in the car you know we're kind of led to believe this is his real self and so it's nice to kind of see him just like willing to engage not really have an agenda with these conversations he's not trying to get to know Basaki because he wants to hurt her you know he's just yeah. genuinely maybe curious I read this and like what felt unsatisfying to me was the fact that I thought Misaki was going to play into this more heavily, but she kind of seems more like a foil for him. She seems like the device. Board. Yeah, she's the device. And she's she's got so much interesting uh, details to her. There's a lot of depth to her. She feels like a really fully imagined character and all of that. I just didn't know where she ended in all of this, you know? There is that kind of red herring too, where he goes into a lot of detail about how they had a miscarriage and the kid would have been 24 which is like her age and how she's kind of like without parents as we see in that section that i read so like and she tells him uh you are the same age as my father yeah which is like there's that little connection there yeah so i don't know that it's like we're not supposed to think like this is his long lost daughter you know, but like she's not at all obviously. yeah and she's not but but so like there's so many like little things that are set up i guess we're just supposed to like assume that that's the dynamic that's at play and that they're both kind of like happy to lean into it you know yeah she's a wonderful character i kind of expected the same thing she's just so well drawn in this yeah. story you get to know it's like him and her and even the other his wife's lover that he befriends you get in the moments in the small section that he's in there he's also very well drawn too right obviously kafuku is very well drawn but misaki is equally well drawn and just interesting as a character so it was a little like i kind of expected her to play more but i don't know this was a like i said a contemplative story so i, I didn't like they weren't gonna wind up like yeah. sleeping together or something like that. It was going to be small. Whatever was going to happen, I knew it was going to be small. And I think just that, that little connection, that little kind of like, neither of us have friends, neither of us have anybody in the world. We're kind of just, you know, stuck in traffic. But that little like, you're the same age as my daughter would have been. And she's like, you're the same age as my father. It's like enough. Right. Maybe her entire existence is about the fact that like, he gets to reflect on being without his wife, but he also gets to reflect on like having lost a daughter. Like this yeah. is, he doesn't have a daughter in his life he has her in the car though right now and she doesn't have a father you know like who knows if he would have entertained a conversation like this with his actual daughter about his actual wife and her affairs right like there's probably something about the fact that Masaki is essentially a stranger that he's willing to discuss that but that's interesting too right the idea that uh without a daughter like who does he talk to and, and this section is like he doesn't really have friends and they hint about you know the fact that when you get married and men especially like lose their social network they stop intentionally planning those things for themselves you know the wives become the social coordinators and all this kind of stuff and then obviously the really interesting plot about how he does try to befriend the, the guy one of the mistresses uh one of his wife's lovers just bizarre 
He's looking for answers, you know, and he's yeah. not going to find them. It's impossible, but right. he gets as close as he can get. It doesn't take him anywhere except maybe a sense of like, oh, I tried. And yeah. like, I liked the guy more than I wanted to. So I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. And I stepped, stepped away from that. Maybe I wound up hurting him by like ending our budding friendship. But that was my point. My, <laughs> my plan from the beginning was to hurt him. So <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it's like, I'm I'm okay, I guess, with the fact that there's not like some uh, climax to that whole the duel at the end. Or yeah, <laughs> because this is an extreme length for him to kind of process things, right? He didn't yeah. go to therapy. <laughs> he he decided to do something like extremely unhinged to kind of like get over this or to explore it further. And I don't know. It I think speaks to the fact that he didn't even have like a wife in his life or a daughter figure at the time to kind of bounce this idea off. He had to like go do something wild, or else you'd literally see him in a female therapist's office, right? Yeah, he like lost his sounding board. You know, it's interesting, like the opening there, he he wants to group women into two kinds of drivers. And then he meets this woman who is not either of those drivers, right? She's not in either category. She's yeah. something else. And so is she in his mind a woman anymore? Or is, does <laughs> yeah. he have to redefine his categories? Like he has to I reconsider know. everything. And, you know, that might give him the opportunity to to open up to her a little bit. Like yeah. that's, that's kind of like, she's strange to him, but they're both strange, right? Yeah, he's a weirdo too. Yeah. Before we started recording, we ta- you you mentioned that like one of the things you really like about this is how the dialogue gives us all this information, you know, without not even just the dialogue. Like he's he the whole sections are just summary, but it's beautiful, amazing summary that you just fall into. Right, and that that like you said, you know, knowing that this is kind of absent of a climax is the strength of the story and why you're willing to read it and why you don't really care where it's going. He's touching on so many things that are so interesting. And the fact that he doesn't have a conclusion is almost more interesting. You know, one of the things I thought based on that, I was thinking about the story is like, we have all these like books about writing and workshops and people come to workshops with like, there's my three main rules for writing and you show, don't tell you do this, you do that, you know, maintain your point of view, etc. But you can, this is showing us that storytelling is just about getting out the story. The story is going to guide how it needs to be told. Like point of view only matters for the, the story that you're telling. Show don't tell only matters for the story you're telling. There's so much of this that is summarizing telling, but it's the story. It, like, we have to know how he feels about his lost wife. And most of that's given to us as memory, as him ruminating and remembering it, which memory is never scenes. Memory is always summary because it's memory. <laughs> Right. I don't know. So this story just made me think like, this is like just a well-told story. It doesn't follow the thing, like the workshop would rip it apart, but it doesn't need to follow those rules. It just needs to tell the story and it does it beautifully. So this isn't going to be my takeaway, but my my takeaway could easily be throw out all the rules and just write your story. I get yeah. So the final conversation here is when he's talking about why he kind of broke it off. Like you said, he just he just one day stops answering his wife's lover's calls, right? <laughs> and yeah. there's no uh real conclusion as to like what the what that guy thought of it, what he made of all that. And he talks about how he wanted to hurt him. Well, she gives some good advice too at the end. Like she kind of connects her own life to his situation. Just to accept what happened. Yeah, kind of. I mean, but that's one of those like subtle ways that she's helping him. 
these conversations wind up helping him and her her character is important to his growth right yeah i guess this final conversation he doesn't necessarily like reach any kind of conclusion the way masaki kind of does where masaki says she says thinking about it doesn't do much good uh and she's talking about how her father left and how her mother died you know and her, her mother's abuse like thinking about it doesn't help her and then kafuku like has that point about like maybe we're all actors that way you know where we yeah. just try to get on with our life at a certain level this conversation also kind of kicks off where like at one point he laughs and Masaki points out like I don't think I've heard you laugh legitimately ever and he's yeah. like yeah I guess I only I haven't done that in a while and then like there's this like bit and I don't think it's like that I don't think it's the point of the story you know but like it's the closest we kind of get to like I mean it's a resolution to the conversation but but he talks about how in the conversation that I read at the beginning here he talks about how acting is an escape but he knows he can always come back to himself afterwards and here he talks about he this is prose he's saying but the self that one returned to was never exactly the same as the self that one had left behind that's a echo of something he had said to her earlier right yeah and it's and it, so he's kind of like you know each time we escape i think into the either the acting or i think the other thing is like each time you escape into this like reverie where you're just like thinking about what happened to you you're changed by that each time each time you move away from yourself you come back as a different person yeah like some people say like something like grief maybe is is like a, an emotional state that doesn't have movement sometimes you know like where you're just like dwelling on something bad like but i think his kind of point is that he is getting a lot out of reflecting on this you know it's it's only in reflecting on this and then like like stepping into the conversation stepping away from it like stepping into those scenes with his wife's lover and then coming back from it like he is changing each time that's really i think one of the key things about this story is he's grieving this whole story is about him yeah. grieving his wife she died and he'll never get resolution for the things he wants resolution for if he even ever really wanted that yeah but he's still grieving and grief is not something that ever goes away you can never stop grieving because right. the, per the person you're grieving or the thing you're grieving is always absent it's gone you can never have it back so there's never going to be resolution to that your grief changes and that's pretty much all we get out of this story is it's just like his grief can change it'll be a slightly different grief from now right. on so there, yeah, I think that that's one of those things about I don't know how much he, he may he's such a good writer he might have had this thought but the idea that the story can reflect the fact that doesn't it can't have a resolution because grief doesn't have a resolution right trying to think what my takeaway would be from something like this. I guess it's basically what we've been talking about, which is that great stories don't have to come to a conclusion. A lot of times they leave a question open-ended. We've talked about that in the past, and I can't remember which exact story we would have talked about it with, but I know we've talked about it in our workshop too, where sometimes people will bring a story, and almost always they have, you would maybe call it a conclusion, but like a message, you know? Like the character lands on one side or the other of something, and they state that clearly they have a position by the end or a change of heart whatever it is but I think like the stories that keep you thinking are the ones that are not open-ended in the sense where you're like what happened yeah but like you said grief is something that doesn't end so presenting something to someone the reader that can't that cannot have a conclusion is what makes you really think about it afterwards I think that's my takeaway right now because I've had like a conversation in my head for a while that I wanted to turn into a story and it's like one of these conversations where it's just like a seed of dialogue 
and I don't really know what the point is, you know? But maybe it's like kind of permission to kind of say, well, if, if I don't know the point, how helpful is it to engineer a point? If I'm captivated by the question that this conversation brings up, maybe that's enough to leave people with a story, you know? If it raises the question. Yeah, because a conversation's about something, right? The characters yeah. are going to talk, and so they're going to circle around something. So that's, that's dynamics, right? That's going to be enough for a story. You just have to paint that in a vivid way and get right. us engaged in it. Because conflict is one type of like story tension, right? right? Something that drives a story forward. But you just want a story to have some sort of dynamics. Like some, it has to have some movement, something that will carry the reader forward through it. Right. And it doesn't have to be conflict, but conflict is a very easy one to do. And that's what we always talk about. Like, then you you need conflict. You need a character with a conflict. But if, if there's something that is introduced at the beginning of the story that pushes you to go forward through the story, that's enough. And it doesn't have to come to a resolution. It just, it gets you through the story. And that's where this uh, basic storytelling comes in. Like yeah. I was talking about before, like, just give us the story. <laughs> you don't have to worry about rules or anything like that. Right, right, right. What is the thing that you want to put out there? And if it's just, it's an open-ended question, then that's what it is. It's an open-ended question. And right. the form of this, the quote-unquote story takes on the, the same thing as an open-ended question. Yeah, I feel like that kind of leads into my takeaway, which is this story has, um, is like I said, it's like a river with little eddies and currents on the side and you just kind of like follow it along and it carries you. And I think that's the, my takeaway is just like this, the ease with which this story can just carry me along. He like focuses in on the moment. Every moment leads to the next moment, leads to the next moment. And it's not like, you know, where it's going to go. It's just carrying you with it. And right. um, every moment is vivid and, and gross and you're always in it and that's what's what's so great and it just the next moment arises out of it and arises out of the next one and and it just keeps like unfolding like that even like right. simple things the mark i made that i talked about earlier like it, it's right after what you read it's uh kafuku tried to take a nap but sleep wouldn't come the car edged forward and stopped edged forward and stopped as misaki deftly shifted gears in the adjacent lane the tractor trailer moved ahead and fell behind like the shadow cast by some enormous fate. It's like, what a nothing moment beautifully wrought, right? He's just trying to fall asleep in the back of a car yeah. while she's like navigating stop right. and go traffic. But you're in it. You're in that moment. And then that moment leads to the next moment. Every moment is beautifully built like that. And I think that's, I don't know, I feel like that's the heart of, of writing. You won't get anywhere if you can't carry us from moment to moment as a writer. And so he does it so amazingly well in the story and all his other stories. I mean, it's just right. a brilliant writer. But that's the thing I just marveled over as I was reading it. Yeah, I, I think from this conversation, I'm going to remember that description of these kind of side stories or side conversations being eddies, right? That you're just kind of, you're literally along for the ride and you're happy to be caught up in these little things. And like you said, it doesn't have to be a traditional story in the sense that it's got a climax for, for you to be willing to be swept up in it and then for there to be these rewards which are those beautiful lines that you just read, right? Yeah, you don't need the um, the space battle that's concurrent with the ground battle, like at the end of Star Wars, you know, where you have like all the fighting and sword play and everything. You don't have the giant cinematic climax. You're just a quiet little ride down a lazy river. Right. And uh, like Kafuku says, when you're done with the story, you're different. Yeah. Changes you because you went away from yourself for a little while and came back. This is a good one. This is a, a great one. I really like this story. Good job, Christine. Good pick. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. 
If you enjoyed this episode, consider joining our Patreon. Your support helps us keep the show running. Find out more at patreon.com slash whyisthisgoodpodcast. And for industry news, writing tips, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at napleswritersworkshop.com.